Hey everybody, this is Pastor Court Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. Would you turn with me to 1 Chronicles? 1 Chronicles, beginning in uh, chapter 21 and verse 21. 1 Chronicles 21, 21. And today I will finish up my series on the threshing floor. Robbing the threshing floor. And I want to read for you a story about David and the place of tabernacle. 1 Chronicles 21, 21. When you have it, just say, I got it. The Bible says, and as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it to me for the full price. Somebody say full price. That the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. And King David said to Ornan, Nay, or no, but I will verily buy it for the full price. Somebody say full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. Amen. Robbing the threshing floor. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. And I ask you now, Lord, let the word do its work in our hearts and our minds. And I pray, Lord, that we would not only be hearers of the word today, but doers also. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and glory. And someone just shout out in Jesus' name. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Thank you for standing. Over the last two Sunday mornings, I have taught about the threshing floor, and I brought my original text from 1 Samuel 23 and 1, where the servants come and tell David that the Philistines fight against Keilah, and they rob the threshing floors. They were fighting, and the, the prominent problem that David needed to understand is that they were robbing the threshing floors. And if you rob the threshing floor, you have no hope for tomorrow. We can, we can, we can fight. We can have our differences. Uh, th- there can be a battle. There can be a war, losses and victories. But if you take the threshing floor, then you take the ability to go any further if you take everything from the threshing floor because the threshing floor is not only where you gain harvest 
for the season and meat for the cupboards. But the threshing floor is also the place where you separate meat from seed. And so we need seed in the future to plant for next year's harvest. Amen. And so robbing the threshing floors is, is, is not only taking meat from our mouths now, but it's also taking our ability to have meat in the future. It is robbing us of a relationship with God in this very moment, but it is also taking away our generational process, children's children, as Peter would say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, for the promise of verse 39, for the promises unto you and unto your children and unto those that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's taking away our future. So when they come to David in 1 Samuel 23, it's not just, hey, the Philistines are attacking, but hey, the Philistines are attacking and their goal is, their, their attack strategy is they are robbing the threshing floors. They're taking the oxen, they're taking the instruments, they're taking the wheat. They're ruining our ability to have a future. See, in the military, this is a strategic plot to destroy the supply line. In the military, uh, you, when, you, when you attack an enemy, you can attack them head on if you want to, and, 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 and that's done. Uh, but if you really want to be able to bring them down over time and get them to a place where they are defeatable, then you mess with their supply. You continually interrupt supply. And as you interrupt supply, it interrupts every other thing. You can win a battle not, by not even shooting one bullet if you can find a way to disrupt supply. In uh, the battle against Nazi Germany, there was a young man who was an American who worked in the oil companies. When his family became, became very, very distraught when he started telling them that he agreed with Hitler. Over dinners, he would open up about his political process and he would say, yes, I, I believe in the Aryan nation. I, I mean, I believe that what, what, you know, what Hitler's doing is awesome. His family, his friends, his mother, his father, his aunts, his uncles, his cousins, they all started saying, what, what is up with this man? What, what is his problem? And as it began to grow, he uh, be, finally talked to the right people, got an introduction to the right people and said, listen, this is what I do. I do oil and I, I set up oil depots and, you know, th this is kind of my job. And they said, well, would you like to work for Hitler? And he said, absolutely. He told his family, I'm going to work for Nazi Germany. He left America and moved to Sweden. When he moved to Sweden, he set up his own uh, umbrella company where he began to work hand in hand with Hitler's top lieutenants in the supply line getting oil, gasoline, petroleum to Hitler's army, to the war machine at the time that literally had the ability to conquer the known world. This man worked with them for years. For almost seven years of his life, he worked with Nazi Germany. During that time, he invented, he, he uh, master planned all kinds of depots. And then one day, he disappeared. And the reason he disappeared is because he came back to America and met with the CIA who had hired him seven years before to infiltrate Nazi Germany. And he gave them the location of every 
oil depot that he'd worked on. In a matter of one day, they dropped bombs on every one of them, shut down Hitler's oil supply, and officially ended the war one man. Several years after that point, they introduced him back to his family. They had a big meeting. The, the, the U.S. military helped him do this, bring all of his family in, and they explained to him what he had done. He separated himself from you because he was working for us to shut down Hitler's army. One man who interrupted supply stopped an entire army. That's a true story. None of that that I just said was exaggerated or made up. That's a true story. You can look it up for yourself. Because without firing one bullet, he shut down an entire army because he messed up their supply line. The Philistines are doing no different in 1 Samuel 23 as with the, without fighting, without, without attacking Jerusalem head on, they're just messing up the threshing floors. Keilah was not a defensive position. Keilah was not a great army. Keilah was not... Um, some kind of strategic fortress. Keilah was a place of threshing floors. It was a place where Israel gathered their wheat. It was a place where they gathered their uh, barley. It was a place where they had a strategic location where all the harvest would come into, and Keilah was that strategic place. And the Philistines were robbing the threshing floors because they knew if we can get the threshing floors, we can hurt the entire country of Jerusalem by destroying their supply line. And the enemy today knows the same thing, that the threshing floor is important to the kingdom of God. And he will let you sit right here in church and never, never be challenged. He'll let you come to church every weekend. He'll let you look the part, act the part, as long as you're never challenged and as long as God is never able to take out of you what he needs to take out of you. We do ourselves an injustice when we allow ourselves to not be taken to the threshing floor. And I've said this over the last two weeks, but just in summary, that threshing floor was a place of separation. It was a place of breaking down. It was a place where the, the harvester would separate what is usable from what is unusable, separate the trash from the meat. And in that threshing floor is where that entire harvest came in and sat there on the floor and everything was thrown in to the threshing floor and as the ox would pull the stone the stone would break up that that harvest and would break it down into smaller and smaller and smaller increments so at the end of it when it was thrown into the air with the fan what was trash would be carried away by the wind and what was meat what was seed would fall down and as they did that over and over and over and over again at the threshing floor, eventually you would have usable material. And this is what the word of God does for us. It breaks us down. That's why when you read some scriptures, it, it, it doesn't hit you just right. Your flesh doesn't like it. When the pastor comes up and begins to preach a sermon that doesn't really sit well with your flesh, and he begins to talk about sin and uh, and, and breaking commandments and breaking law and end time and what's happening with the spirit of the culture. And we lean more towards the culture than we do to the spirit when we lean more to the flesh than we do from the spirit. That word begins to break us down in smaller and smaller increments because God wants to separate what is usable from unusable. 
Every part of you is not usable. Every part of your character is not usable. Every part of Every part of your personality is not usable. God wants to break you down to usable components. Amen? And so we, we allow ourselves to be robbed of the threshing floor when we will not hear sound doctrine. The Bible tells us that a sign of the end time would be a time, would be, it would be a season where people would not hear sound doctrine, where people would not want to hear the, the un defiled word of God but they would be angry with it and they would want to say the Bible said they would heap to themselves preachers they would heap to themselves teachers who would teach them what they want to hear that would tickle their ears with fancy words and life lessons and oh that feels good I came to church today feeling good and I left today feeling good. Well, that's great from time to time. But every once in a while, you should come to church feeling good. The word should convict you. And you should say, man, I need to get my life right. There's things I'm doing that's not right. There's things I'm saying that's not right. You know what? I'm mad at my brother. And I need to get that right. I need to get my life right. Because I don't want to burn in the devil's hell. I don't want to dis be displeasing to God. I want to, I want to get my life. When, when you come to church, the church should be a place where we gain strength that we gain energy, and also that we feel conviction. This is the threshing floor. The threshing floor should be breaking us down. The threshing floor should be separating what is usable from unusable. The threshing floor should be a place where you come and you realize, hey, that part of me, that part of my character, that part of my personality, that part of my lifestyle, that is not pleasing to God, and I need to separate myself from that. Because I want to be pleasing to God. I want to be usable in the kingdom of God. Every part of you is not usable. Every part of me is not usable. That is the threshing floor. It is the place of breaking down, separating, breaking apart what is usable from unusable. And David goes to Ornan. He has been requested to build God's tabernacle. We know that in future scriptures and references that David will never build the tabernacle. Solomon will build it, but he'll build it on the place that David buys and he'll build it with the materials that David has. But David would not be allowed to build that tabernacle. God will look at David and say, David, because of your bloody house, because of all the murders you have committed, because of all the, the deaths that have been tallied up by your name, as God, I love you, but I can't let you. I can't let you build my, I can't let those bloody hands you have build my holy place. So I want you to buy the, buy the land and get the materials, but never put your hand to it. You can't swing one hammer. You can't drive one nail. You can get it ready, you can get it right, but you can't build it. Because I told you not to number the people and you numbered them. And many had to die at your hand. And because of your bloody hand, David, because of your bloody house, you cannot build my holy place. And so David prepares. David accepts that fate and he prepares the, to build God's house. Not, not a tabernacle in the desert. Not a, not a tabernacle in the wilderness, but a static location, a place that is unmovable. 
The tabernacle in the desert was movable from place to place, cloud by day, fire by night. But the tabernacle that God is asking David to build now, the house that David built through the hands of his son Solomon, that house would not be a movable house. That house would be a static location for God's people to dwell in. We know about this tabernacle. It is Solomon's tabernacle. It's still today one of the greatest architectural feats of all time. It took a long time to build. There was no hammer swung inside the building. If they brought a stone in that didn't fit, they would take the stone back out to the wilderness, chisel it off, shave it down, and bring it back. If it didn't fit, you could not swing a hammer inside that building. You could not use a chisel inside the building. If the, if the, if the stone didn't fit it just right, they'll have to take it back out to the wilderness and chisel it again and bring it back in. Imagine having to do that. Because no hammer could be swung inside the building. The, the beauty of this place was unparalleled. The gold, the silver, the marble, the cedars of Lebanon, the, the architecture even today would blow our minds of how amazing this tabernacle was. However, Every piece of material was gathered by David and the land that it was built on was purchased by David. And when David is looking for a place to purchase, when David is looking for a location to have a central place where God's glory could meet his people, he goes to Ornan and asks if he could buy his threshing floor. Why? Why a threshing floor, David? Why, what's so special about this threshing floor that you would want to buy it to build a foundation on, to build an altar on, to build a place of worship on? I can't find in chapters before or after Chronicles 21 where God specifically spoke to David and said, I want that threshing floor. There's no place where David went to God and said, God, Where's the location? And God said, the threshing floor. I just believe that David knew that it would be a level place. Because you cannot have such a heavy weighted stone rolling around in a massive circle for so long and have uneven ground. It was a level location. The threshing floor always had to be on solid ground. The threshing floor always had to be at a level plane. Wherever you built a threshing floor, you would have to grade it out. It would have to be even. This is the concept of the word of God, that it is line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. The word of God is not unbalanced, but the word of God is balanced. The word of God, if it raises a question, you don't have to go to another book to find the answer to that question. Just keep reading the book. It'll answer itself. The word of God is not an index where you find questions and then go to somewhere else and find answers. Or you find questions. If you find questions in other books, you can find the answer in this book. It is, it is level. It is, the word of God is, is, is never changing. It, the word of God doesn't shift with my cultural viewpoint. Right? If I, have, if I have a famous actor that I really love, I love his acting, I love his skill, but he comes out and says something against the word of God, I side with God's word and not my favorite actor. Anybody want to talk back to the preacher? 
It's too early. It's only 1023. If, if my favorite politician who has doctorates and is so smart that he's got more degrees than a thermometer, if he says something that's against what God said in the word, I choose the word over my favorite politician because he's wrong. She's wrong. God's word, there's no variance in it. If my, if my college professor who's super cool and, and knows all kinds of cool things and he's so smart, if he decides to take an angle that is against God's word, I choose God's word and I tell my professor, hey, look, you're wrong. I want to get an A in this class, but you're wrong. And even if I'd never say it out of my mouth, I better be speaking it in my heart. That's not right. That's not according to God's word. Because God's word is balanced. It's level. It doesn't shift. There, there is not a 2021 version of God's word. There's not. There's not a 2021 version of this. There's not a, there, there's not a new version of this that, that Jesus changed his mind on and was like, you know what? I mean, that doesn't fit in today's culture, and so I'll let that slide off because I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. This is what's robbing the threshing floor from us is that we, we, we want to be offended all the time. We want to be offended all the time, and we get so offended. We get so, we get so angry when we hear people say things that doesn't fit our Agenda. The Bible is never going to fit in any kind of fleshly agenda. As, as long as there are men, flesh and blood men and women in charge of the world, there will never be a point where God's word will match it up because God's word doesn't connect with flesh. It connects with spirit. And the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And we are doing ourselves an injustice when we say, don't say that to me. Don't tell me that. Don't preach that to me. Don't, don't talk about sin, pastor. Don't talk about homosexuality, pastor. Don't talk about abortion, pastor. Don't talk about racism, pastor. Don't talk about those things. Don't talk about adultery, pastor. Don't talk about fornication, pastor. And if you talk about those things, please don't talk about envy and jealousy and strife and manipulations. Don't talk about promiscuity. Please don't talk about that kind of stuff because that doesn't fit well with our social media mindset. Where we would rather be viral than right because we want to fit in. It, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. If you throw it on the threshing floor, the stone of the word will crush it. I don't care how much you love it. If you throw it on that threshing floor, God's word will break it down. I don't care how much you believe in it. You know, I believe in this. I think this is right. And you, and you may believe with all your heart of hearts that it's right. That's your opinion. And you are welcome to your opinion. But if you ever are willing to throw it on that threshing floor, God's word will crush it. And break it down to usable components. I'll tell you, a great example of, of how God's word breaks stuff down into only usable components. Because, is this okay at, at 10 o'clock? Because y'all, all right, I just want to be sure. Because it's 10 o'clock, it's Bible study. So, so I'm, 
I'm teaching Bible study, okay? I'm teaching the word. You showed up early to get the word. So let me just, I'm, I'm going to give you a great example of, of, of how the word breaks it down. So our world wants to say this, that homosexuality is okay. We love it. We give it a whole month. Native Americans get a week. Veterans get a day. But we're giving y'all a whole month. Okay? So it's right. It's okay. We're going to celebrate it. It's awesome. And everybody should agree with us that it's awesome. And if you don't, you're a bigot. If you don't agree with it, you're old-fashioned and you're wrong. Okay, that's, that's the stalk of wheat that we have. That's what the world's made. When we throw that thing into the threshing floor, we, when we add it up to God's word, Old Testament and New Testament, don't come to me and say God didn't say nothing about homosexuality in the New Testament. You'd be wrong and I'd hurt your feelings. It's in the Old Testament and New Testament. It's wrong. Men with men, women with women. It's very clear. There's no, there's no gray here. There's no like, well, that's an interpretation. No, it ain't. It's, it's right on the line that men would burn in their lust for each other and that women would burn in their lust for each other. Okay, it's, it, it's you know. And the Bible says it's wrong that those that do these things, those that do these things are destined for hellfire. That's, that's what the Bible says. Not, not me. So when, when I put it in that threshing floor, it begins to break it down. It begins to break it down into only usable components. So what are the only usable components of this? Here's the only usable components of this is that we should love them. Right. And, and, and that is the usable component of the word. When we break that whole thing down, is it right? No, it's not right. Does Jesus think it's okay? Absolutely not. He doesn't think it's okay. Read what he said about the pornea code. He does not think it's okay. He breaks it down. It's broken down. It's broken down into usable. And so what's usable? What's usable is this, is that we should not hate. Just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I hate you. And there's some Christians out there that show their hate for something quicker than they'll show their love. I hate that sin because the Bible tells me that I should hate what Jesus hates. So I hate that sin. That sin is, is not okay. But it's a sin just like fornication is, just like adultery is, just like envy is. It's a sin. So I'm breaking it down into usable components. If, 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 if someone comes in here and, and has that spirit on them, we should not turn them away and say, go find you a church where you'll fit in. That's wrong. That's not okay. We should say, hey, man, come on. Like anybody else, welcome home. We love you already. We're so glad you're here. Come on in. We want God to touch you. We want you to be free from it just like we want him to be free from alcohol and, and, and her to be free from depression and, and him to be free from drug abuse. We, we want you to be free. We want you to walk in freedom because this is not the will of God for your life. And as we break it down, it's not going to sit right with people. And that's okay. Listen to me, church. It's okay that it doesn't sit right with people. We're not here to make everybody happy. This is what Jesus said. Jesus told his disciples, he said, you think that I came to bring peace. No. What Jesus said, not, not me, Jesus said this. He said, you think that I've come to bring peace. He said, no, I came to bring a sword. He said, I come to set the battle in array. I come to put father against son, mother against daughter, households I will split. Because if you side with me, you're going to have to automatically be at odds with somebody else. 
And here's the deal. I can have a difference of opinion for you, of you, and still love you. We can disagree on this matter. There's people probably in this room that don't agree with 50% or maybe 80% of what I've said so far. That's totally fine. I got scripture to back up my belief system. And, and I'm not going to back away from that scripture. Now, if my attitude is wrong, I'll apologize for my attitude. But I will not apologize for what Jesus said. I can't do that. He said that. You got a problem with what Jesus said, take it up with Jesus. Got a problem with what the word said. That, that is the example of the breaking down into usable components. Everything in my life I need to throw on that threshing floor and let God's word break it down. And when I see it broke down and by God's word I say, you know what? This ain't even right. This is right. This is right. And David tells Ornan, he says, listen, I want this threshing floor. And Ornan says, hey, you're the king. You can have it all. I'll give you the oxen for sacrifice. You can burn the wood. I'll give you the stones. It's yours. You can have it. King, it's yours. And David says, absolutely not. I will pay full price. Full price. Here's what he said. I will not offer my God anything without cost. I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. God, I'm not going to give you something that didn't cost me nothing. When it costs me something, I handle it differently. Right? When you paid for it, you treated it differently. Like when your daddy paid for it, you just do whatever. Because your daddy paid for it. And he's like, well, whatever. I'll run it dry. I'll even go check the oil. It's, I mean, he gave it to me. But when you paid money for it, you bet they're kicking the tires every morning, popping the hood, checking everything, vacuuming it out, washing it. Come outside. What happened to my car? Oh, my God. Because you got money in it. We all know. We've all been there. When you live in your parents' house, you just do whatever you want to do. Leave stuff laying around, dirty stuff everywhere, dishes and drawers and everything else is laying all around. And you don't care. But now it's your house. Man, my house kind of looking rough. Let me get this thing cleaned up. Get it looking nice. Because it's yours. You spent money on it. Well, God feels the same way. Don't, Don't come offering me something that you didn't put money in. It's easy to give away something that didn't cost me anything. Well, I didn't pay for that no way. But David said, no, I... I need this to cost me because if it costs me, then it's sacrifice. If it didn't cost me anything, how can it be sacrifice? How can it even fit in the description? You see, many of us are here today because of sacrifices other people made. I'm I'm here today. I'm standing in this pulpit right now. Because my grandfather made sacrifices. My grandfather left North Carolina, got in a car, and drove across the country, literally, to the north part of Washington State, to a little tribe in the Tohola, Washington, Native American tribe, to preach to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while he was there, he fell in love with Native American people. And years later, remembered 
there is a city back in North Carolina called Lumberton that is home to the Lumbee Indians. And several years later, packed his family up again, sacrificed, left jobs, left, left a, a church, drove across the country again back to North Carolina and showed up to Lumberton, North Carolina and began to preach the gospel. No church, just, just set one up, just started with nothing, got a job, started working, met a young man named Jeff, a Lumbee, who he won to the Lord, who married his daughter, who produced me. So what I'm standing on today, I'm standing on sacrifice. Men who heard from God and gave up everything to go do it. I'm only third generation Pentecost, saints. I don't have a deep heritage of family. My grandfather was a drunkard who got saved. My father was a pothead hippie who got saved. That's where I come from. I'm, I'm just third generation. I don't have a long lineage of people who saved, they were saved, been saved, they were saved, they saved. No. And so the foundation that I stand on is a foundation of sacrifice. People gave up stuff. People walked away from family members who said, hey, we always been Baptist, always going to be Baptist. And if you go down to that Pentecostal church, don't ever come back in this house again because we Baptists around here. True story. But gave it all up because they found something in the house of God. Sacrificed it all because of what they felt in the house of God. Walked away. That sword that Jesus said he was going to bring. They separated themselves and said, you know what? This is tough and we hope that one day we can be friends again. We hope that one day we can be family again. But right now, Jesus is more important to me than your love. And God has a way of bringing everything full circle. But I'm not standing here today because people didn't give stuff up. I'm standing here today because people sacrificed. I'm standing on a threshing floor and I do myself an injustice when I say, Lord, I want everything that they got. And I don't, want to, I don't want it to cost me anything. I don't want it, I want it to be free, Lord. And, and God's not going to give it to me for free. And I don't want to offer him anything that didn't cost me. This is the weight of the word. The weight of the word. The threshing floor. The separating. Our walk with God will consist of separation. Our walk with God will consist of letting go. Our walk with God will be partially not who comes with us, but who gets left behind. Relationships, families. There's, there's many of you sitting in this room today that, that you got baptized and received the Holy Ghost at this church. And I know because I'm the pastor, I've heard you talk about family who doesn't agree with what you're doing. They don't agree with how you're living. They don't agree with how you dress. They don't agree with how you vote. They don't agree with anything you do because now you're different. And they're like, I just don't understand what you're doing. You just do all this and you just, I can't believe you. But those same people are the ones that call you when somebody got cancer. When somebody got in an accident, somebody going to jail. 
hey, can you, can you get your church to pray? Well, why? Because I know y'all got power up in there. Well, why? Why do you think we got power? Because we don't mind going to the threshing floor and I'm different and I'm separate. And I'm, I'm not like everybody else. I'm not saying that I'm better. I'm just saying that I'm different. And I'm saying I know how to get a hold of God. I'm not playing church. I'm not, I'm not here to check off a box and say I'm just here. No, no, I'm here because God is here. And I have power with God and man. And I can call those things that are not as though they were. I can pray and God will move. Yes, sir. I'm not just here so that I can be cool and say I'm a Christian. No, I'm here because the power of God lives in me. And not only does it live in me, but it worketh in me. I'm a child of the king. I'm a holy roller. Absolutely. I'm a tongue talker. I'm, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ashamed to do what they did. They were holy rollers. They were tongue talkers. They turned their cities upside down. So why would I be ashamed to say, well, I'm just trying to be a good old Christian. And come on in. Let me teach you a little life lesson about how to be a better person. I don't want you to be a better person. I want you to be a different person. Jesus didn't say be better. Jesus said be born again. Jesus didn't say if, if a man be in Christ, he's a better creature. <laughs> what did he say? If a man be in Christ, he's a, a new creature, a whole different thing. God doesn't want a better version of you. God wants a different you. God wants you to go home, come to this altar, get saved, get filled, and be changed. And get up and say, I'm a different man. I don't walk the same. I don't talk the same. I don't live the same. I don't go the same places. I don't have the same friends. I don't drink the same things. I don't do the same activities. I'm just different. That's the threshing floor. The threshing floor changes you. It breaks you down and it changes you. There is no bread in the threshing floor. But all that that's in the threshing floor, that's going to be bread at some point, at some time. That's going to be bread. It don't look like bread now, but eventually it will be bread. Eventually, I know it just looks like dust, it just looks like seed, it just looks like hay, but there's coming a time when you mix it with the right ingredients and you put the right things in it and you, and you add this and you add that and you put it in some heat. Woo, one day it's going to be bread. And God has broken me down and put me through some stuff, sister. God has broken me down, put me through some things, put me in some heat. And I'm different today than I was then because I've been to the threshing floor. And you do yourself an injustice when you walk away from the threshing floor. You do your children an injustice when you walk away from the threshing floor. Let's don't let the culture rob us of the threshing floor. Let's don't let this world rob us of the threshing God, I want it. Give it to me. Preach it, pastor. Preach it tough. Preach it hard because I want my life to be right. I want to hear the word of God. And it doesn't sit well with my spirit. And that's when I like it. Remain standing. David said, I don't want you to give it to me because of who I am. I, I don't want you to give it to me because of my status. I don't want you to give it to me because of my position. I know I'm the king. I know I'm powerful. I know that if you read my story, you know, if you read my story, then you'll see there's a few people who wouldn't give me what I wanted and I killed them. 
But this ain't about that. This ain't, this ain't about that. This is about, this is about what I offer to God, not what I offer to man. And so I don't want you to give it to me because of my position or my status or my power. But I want to I wanna buy it. I want to spend my money, my time, my energy, and I want to buy it. Because when God looks at me, I want him to see that my sacrifice is true. Sacrifice. This cost me something. This cost me something. I want to encourage you through the word of God today to open the word of God in every place that doesn't fit your flesh. That's what God's really speaking to you. Every place that pounds you down a little bit and makes you feel differently and says, you know, I just don't, I just don't like that. Is that what he means? Is, is he really saying that? Is he really saying that not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter? Is, is he really saying that everybody's not going to go? I don't like that. Well, you don't like that because I don't like it either. My flesh doesn't. I wish everybody could go. But everybody ain't going. You know, when you read, when Paul says, I wish that women would adorn themselves with modest apparel. I don't like that. He ain't tell me how to live. He tell me how to dress. It doesn't sit well with you because it's, it's, it's weight. And, and, our, and, and our culture is unashamed. And I, I would that men would lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting, anger and doubting. Yeah. And holy hands. I don't, I don't really like that. I, I don't really like to tell, trying to tell me how to live, trying to tell me how to act. I don't really like that. I don't care what you, it's not that I don't care what you don't like, it's the word. The word don't care what you don't like. The word is not making detours to fit your lifestyle. But I am making detours to fit the word. I'm raising my children in a way that fits the word. They say, well, daddy, they got it. Why can't I have it? Because we're not them. Daddy, they can go. Why can't we go? Because we're not them. Daddy, they, 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 can say, they can say whatever they want to say. God bless them. That's fine. They got parents. But you, my kids, we don't say that here. We don't, we don't watch that here. We don't have that here. You're not having that social media app. All my friends got it. No, I know, but you're not having it. That's, that's me. That's my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm, I'm, that's just, well, you're a bad parent. So what? I'm not, I'm not here to make you happy. Well, you're a bad father. You're a bad husband. No, I'm not. I'm biblical. And biblical will not like, you won't like biblical. Because that threshing floor puts that weight on you. But my mom and dad did it to me. And my dad has three sons. And every one of them are ministering somewhere right now. He knows exactly where they are. Matter of fact, one of his sons is pastoring his church. His other son is doing his music this morning, and his other son is here pastoring y'all. You know why? Because he put me in a threshing floor, and I couldn't have all my friends, and I couldn't stay out past 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock came, boy, where you at? Ain't nothing happening after 11 o'clock except dirt, so come on home. Holy Ghost, ain't anybody, anybody want to talk back to me? Let me stop meddling. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. 
thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.